our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Welcome to our Louisiana Eats podcast series, Quick Bites. I'm Poppy Tooker. My name is Isaac Toops. I own Toops Meadery in Toops South in New Orleans, Louisiana. My book, Chasing the Gator, is out now. Back in 2016, we discovered just how much the camera loves Isaac Toops when he was voted fan favorite on the Bravo Network's Top Chef. But recently at SoFab, I learned just how much the microphone loves him, too. Sound check. One, two. Louisiana Eats. After reading Isaac's book, Chasing the Gator from Cover to Cover, I was dying to know more about the wackadoodle Cajun games Isaac wrote about at length. He was more than happy to oblige with a description and a demonstration. Cajun games, at best, are convoluted. Um, They're wild. They're crazy. They sometimes don't make a lot of sense, but they're fun. They're fun to do, and they're fun to do with the crowd. You can place money on them even if you don't collect uh, they're slightly dangerous, which is, you know, slightly dangerous and convoluted or what, what makes Cajun Cajun. <laughs> the main reason I wanted to put them in the book is because they are part of the story. They're part of what we do when we have gatherings, even a tame gathering. We'll have some minor gambling and some knife play into it. <laughs> so along with uh, the stories and the jokes in the book and the, the Cajun games and the recipes and the little anecdotes about what happens at certain gatherings, I wanted to take people – through the eyes of what really is going on. It's just like the book. I'd never wanted just a list of recipes. I thought I never really wanted to do that. I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to get all of it. Not only eat some of the Cajun food, but kind of, you know, listen to the play. I got a playlist in there. Like, put the playlist on, <laughs> bust out some cards, play some bourree, make some gumbo, drink and some just kind of drink some whiskey. Kind of, kind of imbibe yourself, inject yourself almost into what Cajuns really do nowadays. Okay, well, I think I'm game for Cajun games. Where do you suggest we start? Well, I suggest we start in the most dangerous manner. And I've got, um, you know, I know it's radio, but if you can hear, I've got... Um, a this, big rusty axe! Uh, it's, it, it's actually spray painted. Oh, but it's, 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 there's a little rust. There's a little rust on there, too. But um, this is my uh, tomahawk. This is my favorite one. It's, uh, it's discontinued or else I'd have about 20 of them. And it's absolutely wonderful to throw. And if you've never chucked a tomahawk at, at anything, you, well, you're missing out because it's very exhilarating. It's exhilarating to a point where it's hard to describe to people until they've thrown one. And they actually get a bit of an adrenaline rush off of it, especially when they stick their first one. Uh-huh. So a, a lot... Oh, when they stick their first yeah. one, that's so scary. So I've also got what's called a hurl bat, which is very fun to throw. And it's actually a four-sided pointed uh, throwing vessel, throwing... Throwing tomahawk, if you will. I don't know what the, what the hell it's actually called, but it's dangerous looking. Yeah, it is. And it's pointed on a bunch of different sides, and it's super fun to throw. And you know, I've got a couple. I've got a bunch. Of, you know, I'm just kind of a psychopath. I've got a. Oh I've got a. God. I've got a bunch of different things. These are throwing knives. I have a throwing torpedo, which I've never even thrown. So we'll. So we'll oh. throw it today. Oh my god! My cousin gave me this, and that's kind of gifts you get as a Cajun. Well, what's the origin of this? Is this a family thing, or is it something you're really going to find out there in Cajun country? Um, this is more of an Isaac thing. Now, <laughs> of course, uh, I I was the kid that where's Isaac? Oh, he's he's up he's up in a tree with a knife. I was the kid who always had a knife. I was just you know I'm not sure what a, a knifeaholic or I know what a pyro, I know what they call a pyromaniac. 
I'm not sure what the knife version of that is, but I'm, I was always that guy. I've lost more. I don't know how many steak knives you have, Poppy Tucker, but I've lost more pocket knives than you have steak knives. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I have. I'm just. I've always liked the, the a knife, and I've always been throwing knives. I even used to throw my Swiss Army knife, which is exactly how you lose a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> yes, I'll say. So I've always kind of grown up wanting to be able to. Throw a knife like in the movies, like Jim Bowie or Crocodile Dundee. It's always been like that, and that's always fascinated me. And that, as you grow up, turns into liking to throw tomahawks. <laughs> and that's just kind of natural progression. And, you know, it's it's Cajun. When you, when you bring it out to the boucheries, it's always a big hit. It's always a big hit when I come to the camp and we start chunking knives and axes in, into trees. So you would think it's Cajun. I don't see it a whole lot other than me. Yeah. Uh, but... Sure. Well, you are a special sort of Cajun chef, Toops. Um, do you think? Do you think I can play? Absolutely. I've I've had uh, I've taught many many a people how to throw tomahawks, and there's a bit of there's a bit of learning in in there. So you know, it's you you throw it like a baseball, but you aim like a hammer. Well, let's go. I'm game. Oh, oh! I, I hope you brought uh, you know, your your workout pants and and a, and a garden glove, and, <laughs> I'm re- a, and a hat, and maybe some safety goggles. Oh, because we're about to break some OSHA violations here. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Isaac and I went into the side yard of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, just steps away from both his restaurant and our recording studio. Isaac had erected an eight foot tall wooden target painted with the outline of a splayed pig. On a barrel nearby, Isaac's toys were glinting in the bright sunlight. Knives, hatchets, and other sharp-pointed objects were laid out as if for surgery. I have to admit, it scared me a little bit. Okay, so the board is um, uh, a design uh, I just kind of came up with over and over again. My first tomahawk board was really just, you know, it wasn't a board. It was a piece of fence uh-huh. or somebody else's tree or you prop up a log. Well, I just kind of threw this together, and my carpenter skills are basic at best. So my father-in-law built this new one just for this occasion. Now, it's a bunch of two-by-sixes just in a row that are uh, locked in place in the back with a little bit of easel. So it's this freestanding giant door of a vessel. And, okay. And the reason you have to you – to, you, I've made several because – you're beating it with an axe. And yeah. sooner or later, beating with an axe, you just have a hole in it. And a tomahawk dartboard with a hole in it don't make sense. Well, show me but show me how this game goes. Okay, now, the game is really, we, you, you make up rules as you go. Now, let's go over some safety rules before we throw. Okay. This is an axe. It is sharp and pointed and can kill you. Sometimes you throw the axe, it bounces back off, it comes back toward you. So you have to be aware. So when you throw, you keep it an... It bounces back? It can bounce back. I've even caught one. Oh, God. Yeah, I, look like, I look like a real badass at the boucherie, and the, that time I caught a tomahawk. Uh, so, and with all these, you know, they're obviously, some of them are sharper than others. Um, and you just have to be mindful. This is, not a, this is not a game where you play drunk. Can't claim that I, I haven't done that, but, you know, you shouldn't. There, there's, there's rules, and then where's to break them? So we have an assortment of uh, implements of destruction. We have hurl bats, which are uh, four or five-sided... Uh, throwing devices. We have some throwing knives. We have a throwing torpedo. And my favorite thing to throw in the world is my tomahawk. Okay. I'm ready. You're ready? So the technique is you wind up just like a baseball pitch. Okay. So you really put your whole body into it. You bring your leg up and come around and you, oh. you throw it with your full force. Because 
this is still an axe, it still has to stick in. Now, I've never thrown in this board. This is a virgin board. Okay. So the trick with this is, is always throw it from the same technique and adjust your distance. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, uh, let's, let's, let's chuck one. But that's the, the overall technique. You really have to throw it, and you you really have to throw it, and you really have to come over your shoulder. And to aim it, Poppy, yes. what you do is pretend this is a hammer, and the target is a nail. So when you aim it, you are trying to hammer the nail yeah. upon release. Do not try to spin it. It will spin on its own. Oh, my God. So let me do it one more time. Okay. Pay attention to the technique. Everybody beware of the axe. Seeing the hatchet spinning end over end as it whizzed towards the pig target really gave me pause. I'm kind of a klutz, and those hatchets are heavy. But Isaac had gone to so much trouble to play real Cajun games with me that reluctantly I went along. But after a few pitiful attempts, when luckily no one was hurt, I threw in the towel. Well, I guess maybe I'm not much of a Cajun. You've got to practice that before you get really good at it. So no one starts off being an absolute tomahawk ninja. It, <laughs> okay. it, it doesn't happen, so don't feel bad. Okay. And I'm going to leave that board out there. So anytime you need to uh, relieve some stress, yes, get it out. Go chunk a tomahawk. You know, maybe someone's picture of it if you if you feel like it. What an incredible addition to the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. <laughs> Thank you so much, Isaac. Exhilarating, wasn't it? I thought it was great when I just had a restaurant and a bar at my disposal. But knowing that I now have a spot to throw tomahawks, this just is a game changer. It complete, the circle is complete. <laughs> well, speaking of completing the circle, I want to talk to you about this book. And it's... It's billed as the new Cajun cooking. I'd like you to tell me why your food is the new Cajun cooking compared to Paul Prudhomme, Donald Link. Those are the names that come to mind who have made a Cajun mark of sorts ahead of you. So what's the new frontier? Uh, the new frontier, you know, and that's kind of a loose term terminology. It's it's basically what I've been doing to it. What have I been doing to the Cajun food? So you've got recipes in there like cracklings and dirty rice and gumbo, of course. But you also have things that aren't necessarily Cajun that I've kind of turned Cajun. So I, I'm always one to venture out and to get new things and to try um, our local produce and our local seafood bounties and animals just in a, in a different light, if you will. So I've taken the modern approach to it. So the type of my cuisine, I call it contemporary Cajun because I can't think of better names for stuff. Uh, <laughs> so it's what does a Cajun boy do, born and raised in Rain, Louisiana, working for Chef Emerald for 10 years, and with the bounty of things that I can get in New Orleans and the techniques that I've picked up on, uh, what, what, is the, what does the Cajun boy do with all that food? Well, he does exactly what I'm doing. Contemporary Cajun, new Cajun food, call it what you want. But it's fine dining mentality, old school thoughts, modern ingredients and techniques, all put together to, in my restaurants and in this book. So you kind of get a taste of the old school and you get the story of how it came about. But more importantly, how is it evolving? And it's continuously evolving. 
you could write a book in the future that says, this is the new Cajun food now. And it'll still be true. So this is the new now. Well, it seems to me that one of the things that sets your cooking apart from the rest that we've seen is that you have so carefully applied those classic French techniques. You know, you've got really exquisite French chops that you have developed through your years before you became Isaac Toops, the Cajun chef. And again and again, I see that very highly refined French food and French technique appearing in a Cajun guise. Would I be right in thinking that maybe Rion is a dish of yours that follows that thread? That's probably one of the most exact French things I do. So I found the Rions in an old French cookbook. And of course, a, a really old cookbook, of course, it just said caramelized pork belly in the oven with red wine and sugar. No temperature, no amounts. That was it. I'm like, okay. Uh, so I literally just sugar, red wine, hot oven, stirred it a lot. Oh my God, this is delicious. It literally happened like that. They didn't even add salt to it, so I add salt to it now in fresh time. And, of course, I've refined the technique to make them even better and better. But it was one of those things like, well, this is, if it's going to be old school French and not Cajun, this is definitely the dish. And it's super simple. You say it's super simple. It's super simple to me. (laughs) Exactly. And I was really tickled that, you know, I have long, long been a lover of your first restaurant, Toops Meadery. How long has Toops been around now? Seven years. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's I been a blur, Poppy. It's, it's been a blur. It's been a blast, a blessing, Isaac. A blessing, of, a blessing of a blur. It has been a blast. And so that is where I came to love your Rion. As a matter of fact, I fell in love with you the first time I ever saw the quote of what you dreamed for your new restaurant to be. You said you wanted a place where people could come and eat foie gras in their shorts. And that is one of my favorite phrases I've ever heard, foie gras in my shorts. I love that idea. And Isaac Toops, you sure know what to do with some foie gras. It's one of my favorite ingredients. It really is. I mean, it's 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 almost cliche for a chef to love foie gras. It's, it's, it's pure fat with some liver in it. Why, why would you not like it? But I really do love it, and that's why it's going to be on, on my menus for time being. I'm going to the James Beard house in a couple of weeks, and I put foie gras in hogshead cheese. <gasps> foie gras fromage de tête. It's, oh. I've never heard it done before. I've done it before. It comes out absolutely fantastic. It's where the classical French Cajun meat, you know, you got, you got refined technique, you got Cajun mentality, and proper ingredients, and then you, you come up with something like foie gras fromage de tête. Well, what really tickles me is that you have just come clean with us, and every one of those classic dishes that we have all come to love, first at the meadery and now at Toop South, you gave up the recipes. We can make it at home. Good luck. But ex- <laughs> Thank you, because that's exactly <laughs> what I said. I said to myself, oh, Rion at home. And then I read the recipe, and I said, more Rion. At the meadery. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the thing. I've, I've always given out my recipes. I really always, never never this articulate, never this nice of a book. Um, but anytime someone would ask, how do you make the Krakens? And I would tell them, and they would call me and said, 
they didn't come out right. I'm like, I know. That's why I told you because I knew you, even though it's a very simple recipe and a lot of these recipes are very simple. Sometimes getting you're looking at chicken hearts right now. You can maybe get chicken hearts, but the recipes aren't that difficult. They are particular. But me and Jennifer got together and really put our effort into making sure it was a legible and written in a way that you could approach. And if you were adventurous and could get some of these uh, weird ingredients, you can make anything in this book. And, of course, that's Jennifer Cole, who co-authored the book with you. And what a job she must have had trying to keep you in line. Uh, Keeping me in line, keeping me paying attention because I I don't pay attention very well. And just kind of making it in my head and then successfully making it out. Many praises to Jennifer Cole. For those who have never had the opportunity to experience the luge canoe at the meadery, well, here's the recipe on page 119. What's the luge canoe? The luge canoe is a dish. um, I came up with a dish, but I got to promote my general manager, Larry. Larry (laughs) Wynn, he came up with the idea for the actual luge. So it starts off with the bone marrow dish. I love bone marrow, but every bone marrow dish I've ever had, you don't get enough bone marrow. You just never get enough. I mean, I just I want big spoonfuls of it. And at, at first, everyone was like, well, God, huge spoonfuls of bone marrow? No one's going to like that. People love it. So roasted, oh, you get a half a half a femur bone, half a femur bone of a cow, ro- roasted, and we top it with bordelaise and confit chicken hearts. And then at the end, you have a, essentially a, a little luge. And Larry was like, why don't we pour whiskey down that? down the barrel of that bone into people's mouths. I said, <laughs> you sicko, that's a great idea. And we started doing it, and people love it. And it's delicious. It, it Not only it's it's fun, but it also makes sense. That alcohol will deglaze that bone, and you get the last bits of the, the fat and the meat all down that. So you get this fat, glaze, whiskey-flavored shot of beef in the mouth, and it's just mm. Fantastic. Well, having been um, a, a luge participant in the past, I can attest that that's absolutely the truth. You know, I've noticed there's an ingredient that suddenly is appearing on menus aside from yours, and I never saw it before you first served me crab fat butter. So here come the copycats, but tell me about how crab fat butter came to be originally. Well, first off, imitation is the highest form of flattery, and I don't claim to own anything. I'm sure other people have come up with dishes like these before. But it was uh, low country where, of course, she crab soup is very popular. And I had some, and it was like, oh, man, this crab flavor is dynamite. How do you how do you get this? Oh, we use crab roe. You can buy crab roe? That was my first thing. So I get back, and I'm like, yeah, you can buy crab roe. You want to buy some of this? Okay, here you go. And at first, I didn't know what to do with it. I was just putting it in stews. I made gnocchi with it. Um, and then, like, why don't we just make butter with it and top it with oysters and roast the oysters? And that was the first good incantation or the best incantation we came up with. And after that, I was like, well, what else can we do with this crab fat butter? Well, let's put it in rice. Oh, my God, this is delicious. Let's put it on buttermilk biscuits. Oh, my God, that's delicious. So, and now we put it in stews. It's one of those things. It's one of those go-to things. If I'm working with seafood and I want a rich crab flavor, go with the roe. And and how do you make it? First, you grab a bunch of crab roe. Good luck. Yeah, good and luck th- with that for and starters. Then you, then you, you can't have to, buy that, can you? Um, You can get it through me. <laughs> um, but no, unless you know a seafood purveyor, it'd be tough to get. And then you have to mill it. So you have to essentially push it through a, um, a drum sieve 
to get all, all the fine particulate or the thousand little itty pieces of shell is what you're picking out. And then once you get that, then it's just uh, emulsified with butter, Aleppo pepper, lemon juice, and salt, and that's it. Oh, my God, it's so good. It, it's delicious on a myriad of things. Your book is laid out in a different way than I've seen cookbooks in the past. It's so personal. That's one of the things that really makes me love this because I've always loved you and your family ever since the foie gras and the shorts. And I love the book and the whole story's in here. We go from the boucherie to the community table to the fish camp and the hunt camp. So why did you want your book to roll out like this? Um, again, I can't. Uh, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Uh, Jennifer Cole came up with the idea instead of normal chapters, we separate into the events, and I, which I immediately loved because I didn't have a better answer for that. Because the first came up, well, how do we want to section this off into chapters? And, and it's like an obvious question, but I didn't think to ask it because I've never written a book before. So luckily, we had professionals around us that says, "Okay, you need chapters." Like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. And she just came up with that idea, and I thought. That's the best idea I've ever heard of. Because it really does tell the story of your life and your family's life. You grew up hunting and fishing, um, hanging with your brothers, your dad. Tell me a little bit about your background that makes you who you are today. Uh, well, I'm blessed to have the family that I have, you know, mother being a, co- a prairie Cajun, father being a coastal Cajun. Didn't really realize the upbringing I had until later on. Realizing that I had this wonderful upbringing of multicultural phenomenon that is Cajun and just immersed in it and steeped in it. And we did things that were normal to me but are not normal to other people. You know, not everybody goes hunting or fishing on the weekends and throws tomahawks or have pig roast. That's actually not very common at all, Um, especially outside of South Louisiana. And then you move to other places and you talk to other people going like, oh, you guys didn't do that? Oh, weird. What does your mom cook? Your mom doesn't cook? (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so I had this upbringing. I didn't start cooking professionally, as you know, until I was 21. But before that, I could chuck oysters faster than most, chef, most chefs could. And I knew how to boil crawfish and cook meats and smoke meats. And I could hunt a deer, skin it, and then prepare it that night. And that's pretty unique, apparently. And that was before you became a chef. That was before I became a chef. So I had this, you know. <laughs> I love that you didn't start till you were 21 to really be a chef. Right. I love it. The kind of chefing you do, I think it requires full majority. You needed to be legal to do what you do, right. Chef Toops. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but um, your, your dad was a dentist, and you even make a reference, a story about you and your brother and, and sort of brotherly quarrels. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, you're going to have – you're going to get into fights with your brother – my brother's – uh, I got an older brother, I got a younger brother, uh, and a younger sister. And, you know, of course, you're going to get into sibling brawls. Sometimes they're friendly and turn violent, like the time I hit my brother with a rake. Um, we were jousting during Christmas, you know, drunken times. We we're having a good old time. And I throw a rake at my brother from about 30 yards, and lo and behold, hit him <laughs> in the head. And we've got to take him to the, the dental clinic, call my brother because he's sober. My older brother and we take Nathaniel to the dental clinic and sew him up. Oh Lord! <laughs> it's Christmas Eve night. I've got I've got my, my wife's upstairs holding the, uh, the the brand new baby at the time, and got to tell her like, "Hey, baby, I just just want to let you know I'm 
taking my brother to the dental clinic and we'll show him up. Can you imagine telling it's Christmas Eve? I've almost killed my brother. I feel terrible. But man, what a story. Welcome to the Toops family. <laughs> Welcome to the Toops family. He's still got a scar. Well, you're uh, you're full of stories. And, you know, you're one of my favorite radio guests. We've made some really fun radio in the past. I, I don't think it's Christmas without hearing the Cajun Night Before Christmas as you read it to your adorable daughters. Um, I love that one. I love that one, too. But I was very surprised to finally read in print a story you told me a long time ago, that wild hunting tale about the rabbit. The Doc Holiday rabbit, the best shot ever made. Absolutely. When you win a James Beard Award, I think you should insist that Amanda carry that rabbit purse to the awards with you. I'm going to insist as well. We'll see how far that goes. <laughs> she hasn't taken that purse outside the house. <laughs> now, does honey shine fuel much of what you guys do? Uh, honey shine is something that actually not a lot of people have had. Uh, it take, it's difficult to make, and it's kind of on the expensive side. So it's more this artisanal Cajun thing I do and that only people that I love get to taste. In fact, I've got to get on another batch because I'm running low. Um, but no, so my father kind of spiked this interest in me. He would always make wine. And I'm sorry, Father, but it was always quite terrible. <laughs> You're a wonderful father, a great a great cook, and a brilliant dentist. But man, just leave the wine to the winemakers. But uh, that that interest in it always clicked. So I got me, uh, you know, some uh, some some food grade buckets and a some some books, and I made my own mead with local honey, and that came out terrible. But my wife had bought me a still. I said, well, that was the intention all along was I don't want to make honey wine. I want to make honey moonshine. Yeah, baby. I want to, I want to make alcohol from scratch, from scratchy scratch. So local honey, yeast, and thyme make the mead. It was terrible. But I distill it down, and it's absolutely delicious. It's a golden color. It's got this wonderful grassy honey notes. But it's a sipper, Poppy. It's a sipper. Oh, it's not a shooter. You start shooting that moonshine, it'll, you'll wake up naked on the roof. <laughs> I hope with, with your a honey. story with a story of your own <laughs> with, with your honey You're right <laughs> the honey shine the honey shine you know uh, it would be remiss of us to not mention your two beautiful daughters and of course it's pretty hilarious here in New Orleans now that there is Poppy Tooker and there's also Poppy Toops Poppy and her inimitable little sister Ivy yeah we have Poppy and Ivy our little garden our little sassy garden <laughs> blonde haired blue eyed and belligerent they've got it all. Well, they're big fans of your food, aren't they? Yes and no. So just like every other parent out there, we I have picky children that if you let them will only eat their chicken nuggets if they want to. But more and more, they're they're coming around. They'll eat my dirty rice nowadays. They'll they'll eat some gumbo a little a little bit. They'll eat a lot of shrimp and a lot of steak and a lot of chicken. So getting them. Getting them to eat composed stuff is just like every other parent. I'm no different. Well, they'll eat your dirty rice now. I actually, there's a little something that really caught my eye. I'm flipping through the book, and suddenly it pops out at me, better than Popeye's. And I thought, wow, this is a throwdown. Would you read for us the better than Popeye's annotation? So the other night, my daughter Poppy was throwing a fit over the dirty rice I made her. Why? Because it didn't look like the dirty rice from Popeye's. You know, that's her favorite side. She always gets it. And my wife just instinctively, because I didn't know what to say to that, my wife instinctively goes over and calmly but authoritatively says, 
Now, your daddy is a great cook. You know how good he is? He taught Popeye. And she looked at, looked at the dirt eyes, looked at me, and started eating. I was like, oh, it is better than Popeye's. With parent win for the day. And as you know, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> better than Popeye. Wait a minute. Better than Popeye. Well, okay. Daddy okay. taught Popeye. Daddy taught Popeye. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to you gotta tell these lies to get your kid to eat. And if that's the only lie i got to tell to get my kid to eat, then so be it. Why did you call the book Chasing the Gator? Chasing the Gator, um, you know, again, I'm not great at naming things. But it made sense once you started to think about it. It says, I'm the gator. I'm always chasing flavors. That's, that's me. I, I want the next thing. I'm never satisfied with the food I have. I want it to be better. I want to taste new things. I like to go to the different international markets and eat new food. I like to travel and eat new things prepared in different ways. I'm always looking for the next thing. What's, what's, what am I going to taste next that's going to like, oh, that's new. I want to make it. That's, that's what excites me as a chef. It's what excites me as a human. I mean, I live to eat. I really do. It's my favorite thing to do. I, mean, I, I don't have other hobbies. <laughs> me and my wife go out and we want to eat new food all the time. And get, I'm making myself hungry just thinking about it. And also, like a gator, I'm perfectly happy to just sit there on a log and sun. But if you mess with me, I'll bite your head off. It's just a brilliant analogy, chasing the gator. And Isaac, you know, most people, when you meet young chefs these days, they're covered in tattoos. It's hard to find a place on them that's not tattooed. And I never knew about your tattoos until you wrote Chasing the Gator. It seems like maybe there's one gator that you've caught. Yeah, I've got a the big old tattoo on my back, which which I like it because it's hidden. Because it's almost, you're right, it's almost a prerequisite to have a, a sleeve full of tattoos on your arms if you're going to be a chef. It's, it's more common than not. And I kind of like that it's on my back because you don't know it's there. It's, it's completely covered my back. So the story goes something like this. Yeah, and then that big Cajun took off his shirt and his humongous tattoo there. <laughs> and the story will evolve some way, which is going to be hilariously convoluted. Man. Well, guess what, Isaac? I'm so happy that now everybody's going to know about that big tattoo on your back because what would be more appropriate? We've got your face on the cover, and we've got that alligator tattoo on the back. It's the back. You get it? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a dad now. I can tell dad jokes. Now, Isaac... One of my favorite things that I've ever eaten of yours, I just love the cracklins. Do you think that we could head over to the kitchen at Toop South and maybe you could cook something up for us? I think I could make that work, especially some cracklins. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Isaac and I jumped through the curtain that separates the museum from Toop South. There, a counter wraps around the kitchen so everyone can see the action. But Isaac took me around back to his deep fryers. This is where all the magic happens. So how do you really make these cracklins that are so magical and that I love so much? It's a very simple thing to do wrong. (laughs) So it's pork skin on pork belly that is slowly rendered down in its own lard until the skin starts to dehydrate. And that's cooled down and then deep fried. Now, that's the short version of an actually very complicated dish. I, I associate it with risotto. If you know how to make good risotto, you know that it's all technique. It's all about stirring, when to add the right moisture, and when to remove it, and when to blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Crackings are the same thing. So even though that recipe is very simple, the technique in it is overtly complicated. So tr- imagine trying to phone something in that's very complicated. Yeah. Instead, 
it would be a lot easier to show people properly okay. how it's done. Well, show me. So, we start with our pork belly, yes. raw, cold. In a cold pan with lard, we render and stir. Don't over stir, because then you'll, you'll break apart the skin from the meat. Don't under stir, they're all stick together. After about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how hot your oil is, at about a medium temperature, they're gonna you know, stir them until they start to dehydrate and the skin starts to toughen up. Give, this, give that a touch. Almost leathery. Almost leathery. Almost Very leather. much feels like leather. It kind of looks like leather too. It, it, it's skin, it, so it kind of is. <laughs> oh! It's pork leather. So, and then after that, these, these will cool down, just about room temperature or colder if we're holding them for longer than that. And then in peanut oil, don't skip this step, peanut oil at 350 degrees, drop them in. Now, they're, sin they're sinking right now, and they'll start to be done when they start to float. Now, we're doing this, of course, here at Toop South in your professional deep fat fryers. Right. Do you really think this can be done at home? Absolutely. I mean, um, I've got a fry daddy. <laughs> I've got a Dutch oven. You can absolutely make these at home. If, you're, if you could fry chicken at home or you could fry anything else, cracklings are the next best easiest thing to do. Don't forget the crack spice. Now, not everything I do is drug related, but everything that I do sounds drug related. This is crackling spice, not, not an actual crack, people. Jesus, grow up. And so this is red pepper, smoked paprika, white pepper, sugar, and sugar, sugar and popcorn salt. Now, sugar, why sugar? Sugar balances out capsation. Know that that was something I learned in your book. Aha! I'm teaching. I'm teaching Poppy Tooker things. Oh my God! Now I'm excited. And as you can see, now that they come out the fryer, if you notice the before and after, the skin is puffed. Oh yeah! And that's the secret to a good crack. And that's how you know you've done them right. And then we're gonna hit them with our spice. <laughs> my favorite thing. I used to think. I used to think I had to wait until Jazz Fest every year to have the breakfast of champions. But since you opened the meadery, I can have hot cracklins anytime. Cracklins hot and fresh all day long. Here you go. Yum! Uh, Merry unbirthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Isaac. You're very welcome. Just out of the fryer, those cracklins were too hot to eat. So Isaac and I brought them back to the studio for tasting there. Oh, my goodness. I have to say, this is both the greatest advantage and the greatest liability of having my studio here at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum with your restaurant, Toop South, adjacent. The smell of the pig wafts over, but now we've got it in the studio. Let me see. Let, it's time to give them the test. That's a well-made crackling right there. I was waiting for it. Oh, my God. You can God. tell when you hit the hitting the bowl. If, if they're not making hail hitting the tin roof sounds, then they're not right. So many more cracklings have gone wrong in order to get a proper crackling that you would not believe. You not believe how much pork belly I had to go through to get this so right. It's, it's more difficult than learning risotto. It's more difficult than making gumbo. And to this day, I am up on my chef's wazoo's. When the cracklings are slightly off, but I also feel for them because I know how difficult it is to maintain. 
Well, my big telltale sign, and I can't tell you the number of poor Yankees who I have introduced to your cracklins, but what I tell them when they get that first bite and they've got it in their mouth and they're going, mmm, I ask, is that cracklin kind of sticking to your teeth? And they say, mmm, it is. And to me, that's the hallmark of the perfect hot cracklin. It's juicy, it's crunchy, and it sticks to your teeth. And they're fried to order. <laughs> now that's now that's something that you don't find actually quite a lot, especially in Cajun country. And not to knock on their crack ones because that's where I learned them from. And I love you know, I love Cajun country, absolutely. But a lot of times they'll just be under a heat lamp or sometimes even just in a bucket. And even though that's good and I still buy them and eat them, heck, heck I'm so sick in the head, Poppy. I, I buy crack ones at the gas station. <laughs> In a cellophane package, still eat them. My cooks think I'm nuts. Then go to the work and still eat cracklins. So I'm sick in the head for cracklins, and there's a reason why they're so good. Well, baby, there's a reason I've always loved you, and that is love that we share, that love for the cracklins. Now, there's something I'd like to demystify. You touched on it when we were frying the cracklins, and that is that seasoning that you refer to as crack. Now, your crack seasoning, is that unique to the cracklins, or is that your all-purpose Cajun season? Um, it's You can use it as all-purpose Cajun seasoning, but I want to kind of demystify that, and I'll go off for just one second, that I don't use any pre-made seasonings on hardly anything because I don't because then everything kind of tastes the same. Now, if you want to use your store-bought seasoning for one thing, that's fine. But once you start putting in everything, then all your food will kind of just be muddy and blend together. So my spice for my gumbo is going to be different from my crackling spice. It was different from my cuvillon spice. So they each have this unique flavor. So you'll never have me reach for the crack spice and putting on everything. Sure, it works great for crack. It even works really good for popcorn. Uh, but for a couple of dishes, you want them to taste different. It's not in my dirty rice because there's cumin in my dirty rice and uh, an arbol pepper in my dirty rice. But in my crack spice, there's sugar, several different types of pepper, and popcorn salt. And all those are important. Why popcorn salt? I have never... Where do you buy it even? I'm not really sure I know this ingredient. Uh, Once again, it was one of those... uh, The the science part of me got together and went, this isn't making sense. So for the first time I made crackling spice, I used kosher salt. That didn't work because all the kosher salt sank to the bottom of the container. Like, well, this isn't blending. So I tried iodized salt. Well, iodized salt for some reason, doesn't stick to cracklins either, and it still sank to the bottom because all those spices were powder format. So I said, I need an even finer salt. Voila, popcorn salt. Ta-da! Popcorn salt is so fine that it actually will st- stay mixed together in your seasoning blend and won't see- sink to the bottom. And it's so fine that it'll stick to the hot cracklins. So that's a trial-by-error thing. Now, you can find it online or at a restaurant supply store. I've even seen it at Rouse's. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, then we're all safe. We can get that started right away. And so fascinating, the sugar and the capsicum. Explain that because I didn't know this before. Uh, well, sugar balances out capsaicin. So if you ever eat something too spicy, get some sugar, and that'll help you alleviate the symptoms of the burning quality. So this, the sugar allows me to add more pepper and get more pepper flavor without making it too spicy. I want it to be spicy, but I don't like anything joke hot. Uh, you see a lot of hot sauces and a lot of powders out there, and a lot of people just like, these joke hot sauces were peppers that are never intended to use. Uh, I like to tell the story in, in, in Africa, they have, you know, one of the hottest peppers in the world. Well, how do you prepare it? It's like, we don't eat this. 
<laughs> we, we, we put this, we grow this around our gardens to keep the elephants out. Like, you have a pepper so hot to shut down an African elephant. Like, no, we don't eat it. Are you crazy? Who would eat this stuff? We would. Americans. 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 We love a thrill. This book is a big thrill for me. I'm so tickled to have my own copy of it. What do you hope for this book? What do you hope happens next? We did this book in this format in this way because I wanted to be proud of it. I, I want, yes, I want this book to be successful. And yes, I want people to pick it up and learn something new. Uh, but ultimately, I wanted in 10 years, in 20 years, to look back and, and still go, that's a good book. I always just wanted to make a really good book. 100% effort in all our activities. Isaac, did I ask you everything you wanted me to ask? Is there anything else you want to tell people? I just wanted to say one thing, and let me see if I can get it right. Okay. <clears throat> this is Louisiana Eats <laughs> with Poppy Tooker. <laughs> Thanks, Isaac. Thank you, Poppy. Anytime. That was Chef Isaac Toops of Toops Meadery and Toops South. His new book is called Chasing the Gator. If you enjoyed this Louisiana Eats quick bite, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss a delicious upcoming serving of Louisiana Eats. Visit poppytooker.com for lots more recipes and delicious food ideas, too. And for autographed copies of my new book, The Pascal's Manali Cookbook. All of my other books are available there as well. Louisiana Eats original theme music, composed by David Pomerleau and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Thanks to Reggie Morris, who bravely engineered, Sarah Holtz, who produced this podcast, and of course, Maddie Mulladew, our social media maven. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. This Louisiana Eats Quick Bite was produced by Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. <laughs>